0: Welcome to episode 64 of Reading Between the Reels. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post to Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. I'm Craig Dickinson, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Corey Heitschmidt and Justin Eldon. How's it going, guys? Good, good. I'm going to try out a new tagline slogan today, our
1: passion, your entertainment. Ooh. Mm.
2: Not, not bad.
1: Nah, maybe not.
2: Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> he was
1: very excited for that, so we'll see if that one sticks. He's workshop. May, maybe our thing is just going to be like a new tagline every week. Maybe that's yeah. what we go for. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, hello, everyone.
0: Yes. Uh, today on the show, we are looking at John Wick, the first one from 2014. Very excited. John Wick Chapter Four is coming out, and uh, I'm behind. I've only seen John Wick one. Seen it a couple times. Hadn't seen it before that we uh, were going to do the show. I love this film. I'm very excited. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in with the uh, overall thoughts. Justin, I'm going to start with you first. What are your overall thoughts on John Wick? Um, before we get started, I found out over the weekend
1: that my niece w- listens to every episode of ours, which makes me so happy. She hasn't seen more than half of these movies, but that's okay. Uh, in terms of this episode, though, uh, Eden. It's rated R, and there's a lot of people that die. You should not watch this movie. You're welcome to listen to the podcast, but don't watch the movie. Anyway,
2: oh, uh, you know what? I'd say that's our new favorite listener, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think yeah. if you want to be our favorite listener, you have to call and let us know. That's how you become, <laughs> and we give you a shout out, and you become our favorite listener. Yeah, there I'd go.
1: love to know the thoughts of a ten-year-old uh, on John Wick. That'd be great. <laughs>
0: That would be entertaining.
1: Anyway, yeah. um, so John Wick, so as I'm watching this movie, like I've I've seen it multiple times since 2014, and then I, I did a rewatch for the podcast. And the entire time, I'm just, first off, like, I don't think anyone would disagree. It's a fantastic movie. It knows what it is, and it goes hard on what it is. Um, And it doesn't stray too much from what it is, which is just an action movie. Um, but more than anything, I feel like it's a movie about multitasking. John Wick, like, if you want a how-to video on how to shoot bad guys while you're driving, got it. Uh, how-to video on how to just, like, run around a house while shooting bad guys? Sure, multitasking. Run over bad guys while shooting other bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, epic one-liners while shooting bad guys? This guy's great. I can't I can't walk and text at the same time. But John Wick can do all these things. It's really impressive. And he does it while looking cool because he's Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Very nice. Corey, what about you?
2: I mean, are you talking about the Keanu Reeves movie where he is a kind of a action hero who's kind of living a, a normal life and then gets pulled into a <laughs> world of becoming the chosen one who can do all these amazing things and stay invincible all the way through the movie and then defeat the bad guys. I think I've seen that movie. Yeah. Uh no, I'm going to tell you though, I in all seriousness, I absolutely love John Wick. I think this is a great top-down action movie. It's an over-the-top hero. Um he is this chosen one who is invincible in a, in a way and uh he's on this path for redemption, trying to live this normal life, and gets drawn back in, pulled back in for revenge, not by his own making. And I think it's done with uh, a sophistication of an entire underworld that has strict rules and codes and, and honor among violent assassin people. And so I think if you want to watch a movie that's going to have fast-paced action, but they are going to slow this movie down in such a way that you absolutely love the buildup for scenes... They do. They take they take this movie and they put some slow conversations and mannerisms and and build up on characters. But then they turn it around and and ramp it up with fast moving, incredible action scenes. Uh, Then this is the movie to watch.
0: Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm. Kind of, frankly I'm shocked that I hadn't seen it before now and this is one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is that it kind of forces me to or gives me an excuse really more than anything to watch some of these movies I've been meaning to get to uh, it's more mythology than I expected that's my favorite takeaway from this is that there is this whole kind of literal underworld the things with the coins and the continental and the rules and all these things I love that and and i'm i'm excited that they're they're going to explore that further I, I like i said earlier at the top i haven't seen the second and the third movie and i haven't seen the fourth movie yet at, at the time of this recording so i'm ex- excited to explore that world more i i am that was the thing my biggest takeaway from this but yeah it's, a, it's just an awesome action film uh it's definitely keanu playing to his strengths um which you know i used to joke like he's ted he's always ted from bill and ted except for when he's in, you know he's neo and that's a different character which again he's kind of playing to his strengths in that but it's it's you know Keanu's a guy especially now he's kind of become kind of like this this urban legend almost like obviously John Wick's an urban legend too but but Keanu is kind of like he's famous for being Keanu at this point you guys know what I mean like he's just this super nice guy that everybody likes and you know, you kind of root for him just in life, and so it's kind of fun to root for him in this and just see him just be this complete, total badass. It kills like eighty people because someone kills his dog, and like it knows what it is. And that sounds really silly as a premise, but it's so totally works.
1: Craig, you said a no-no word, and kids are listening.
0: <laughs> it's still PG. It's fine.
1: <laughs> um, I okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree there a little bit. I, I mean, I, you're welcome to your opinions. Oh, of course, but as um, are you when you are are talking about you're excited for the other movies to like explore the mythology of this a little bit, uh, the other movies do explore it, and it, it almost kind of bums me out. I I like the mystery behind all of it. And the other... Well, okay, so it's the same thing. Craig and I have had this discussion many times. Midichlorians in Star Wars. I don't think the midichlorians should exist because... The force is like this mythic thing that you shouldn't fully understand, and it's more yeah. mysterious and wonderful the less you understand it. And I, I felt that way about this movie because I, so I, I recently watched two and three, um, before I knew we were doing this episode. And then when I went back and watched one, I was like, oh yeah, see, this is what I liked about it. I liked that you as an audience member needs to fill in the possibilities that this world might give you and I like that mystery, but then two and three explore too much of it. I'm like, no 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 put it back, put it back. I don't I don't want to open that box. Interesting.
0: Okay. I'll have to get back to you on after I I check those out. I plan on watching those soon because I was thoroughly engrossed by this. Watched it twice because I just and I wanted to watch it just again as soon as I was finished. So I'm a little shocked you haven't seen the sequels.
2: But I will say this. I will say this. The setup on the sequels is very different than the setup on the first one. The first one doesn't end in the same way that the sequels do. And I think that's why you can watch John Wick 1. And you could, theoretically. I, I If you're a fan of John Wick, I don't know you would do this. But you could theoretically not go watch the sequels. Because the way this one ends. This one right. ends with that slow walk away seeing a new dog and surviving all odds. And there's not a buildup. You yeah. could just move on from there. All the t- loose ends are tied up. This movie did so well. People loved it. And they said, we got to make this into a sequel. Yeah.
1: Well, it reminds me a lot. And maybe it's just cause they're both Keanu, but, um, it reminds me a lot of the matrix where the first film was fantastic. Like just, just epic film. And then they wanted to explore more of the world and two and three are fine, but they're not necessary. Um, like I'm never going to complain well not never. I'm hardly ever going to complain about more content, but um I feel like 2 and 3 were n- were not needed. I was I was happy with 1. Not necessarily saying that they're bad movies, but yeah. It just it, it explored the world too much for me. And I mean that with the Matrix as well as uh right. John Wick.
2: Now, the thing about such a great here's a little side trail that this is what I love movies about this with actors like Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves is such an incredible actor. People love him across all movies he does. I see that face, Justin. It's a good thing it's this not is a video, video podcast. podcast. You
1: cannot <laughs>
2: you can't point out my face. It's unfair. They like say, Keanu.
0: They just don't like the movies necessarily. Right. And yeah. But
2: what you end up looking at, there's some fan theories out there, and I kind of like this one. I don't know if I would go too far into it, is that this is an alternate reality Of a matrix simulation, (laughs) where (laughs) the the, what this is after three and before four, and he is being occupied, and this is just one of those things the matrix does to keep him busy until (laughs) matrix four.
1: I can tell Craig is hating this conversation. Oh my gosh, Corey, we're going to start our own podcast where we just talk about ridiculous fan theories. I'm for it. Let's do it. I haven't even got to the theory where he's an alternate version where Ted went to military school.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> no, that one makes more sense to me. Actually,
1: all right. What other movies could this possibly oh, be my an alternate reality of? <laughs> okay, all
0: right, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sorry, Craig. <laughs> Put it in a Facebook group or tweet it or something. That's somewhere some, there's a viewer more listening more content, content, right now. Social media, and they're saying, "I love this." Oh my goodness! I agree yes. With that. <laughs> so let's talk about what we usually talk about on the show. It's good stuff. Uh, cinematography, Justin. I'm going to start with you again. What did you, you notice this time for composition, color, <clears throat> camera work?
1: Um. Okay. So. The beginning of
0: the film, well,
1: well, it the beginning of the film is the end of the film. But once we go to the beginning, timeline-wise, um, it's all very muted. Like, all the colors are very gray, very, you know, gray, beige, white, like, grayscale, for the most yeah. part. Um, and, uh, I mean, very clearly, like, showing his loneliness like his it never quite says it but you can assume his wife died probably within that week correct because that i mean i'm assuming that dog just shows up right after she dies right um so so it's just it's just very sad like it's it's somewhat of a slow setup And, and not in a bad way it's slow in a good way it's building the character of of john wick um and then as soon as he gets into like the criminal underworld part, which I would say starts with uh, where he is breaking the foundation of his home to get to his weapons and his gold, like that would be the symbolic start of his, his journey there. Almost everything past that point is very dark. Um, like the, the nightclub shots uh, when they're in the continental, things like that. And I think it's showing, you know, this is the dark world that he was once a part of. Um, And you don't really see the dark grays and beige ever again. Like he is fully just now invested into that, that life that he was once a part of.
0: Yeah, I I like that a lot. I had, I think the color was, was fascinating in this one. I mean, And I would add to that too. I'm just going to jump in here, Corey, um, Because uh, they have that kind of desaturated gray where he's kind of doing his morning routine. And then he keep having these like full color flashes of memories with his wife. It just really puts those things in stark contrast. And Mm -hmm. Uh, Desaturated. That's a good word for it. Absolutely.
2: You just stole everything I had there to (laughs) say. I was going to say the wife flashbacks is where you see him wearing the beige jacket, his leather jacket. And the only other time you see that color on him is when he goes to... Uh, to get the car from John Linguizamo, but right. but that but the wife is the full color flashbacks. That's the life. That's where he was, and then now he's back into this dark world, and it's dark and muted, and you know, black suit, black pants, black tie, black shirt, and so he's got this uh, assassin life in this underworld that he's living. So.
0: I don't want to steal any more of your score, so (laughs) I'll
2: let you keep talking. (laughs) That's great. Uh, For camera work, though, I want to point out something that I thought was very interesting was the emphasis on the tattoo on his back. Because I thought, Mm -hmm. at first, I thought, why why are we watching Keanu Reeves? This isn't the kind of thing that you usually see where he's in the shower and we're showing his back. Okay, he's full of tattoos, you know, in this dark life. But the Latin proverb of fortune favors the strong, which I thought was good um, for his character being so strong, being so invincible. Um, but this, as far as camera work, there's one thing that stood out to me, uh, when I was looking through this, cause I was thinking of this and what we're going to talk about. And I love the word payoffs, Craig, because you commented last time on our last episode about payoffs when they set up a line or they set up a scene and then they pay it off later. And it was very interesting because it's when Vigo is explaining how John Wick was given an impossible task and the bodies stacked up and buried that day. And then the first time they go after him to kill him in the house, and he has to call the cleaner Charlie to come get them, <laughs> is a van shot. We're in the front of the van looking through the van, and it is a pile of bodies that they're loading up. And I thought, my gosh, that's a payoff for that one comment. We see an entire 90-second clip where they're devoted to watching us clean up these bodies, which is a long time to to devote to a scene like that with no, no words being spoken, just them cleaning this up. And then here's a pile of bodies from John wick. And mm-hmm. so I thought, I thought, wow, that's a payoff for that comment. That story that we built up on this man. Now we've established the foundation of the character of who he is.
1: There's so many beautiful shots like that too, where um, like, like rarely is the camera stagnant. It's always sweeping. Even during the action scenes, it's, it's not doing the shaky cam thing. That seems like it's not as popular as it once was. Thank goodness. But lots of like, it almost like adds to the chaos, but you're still very aware of what is going on. Uh, you're, you're, you get to see every single move those guys do and just how impressive John Wick is. Um, but yeah, that van scene where it's just slowly like going over those bodies. It, I almost felt like it was giving the viewer time to, hey, remember when we said the bodies were piling <laughs> up? Look at this. They're piling up again. Yeah. Well, and and that's interesting because in
2: a lot of action movies nowadays, you get that shaky camera that mm-hmm. gets us all into the scene and makes the viewer feel like, oh gosh, they're running through, and they don't really hammer that on on John Wick, which I love. I love a still camera. I love seeing them do the the kung fu moves because I I don't know if you know this, Keanu says, I love kung fu. I know kung fu, yeah. so I mean, I love that. Like I get a still camera mm-hmm. and I see them put that that athleticism in there.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that this. You know, This movie is, is a trendsetter in a lot of ways. And I love the, because of the really long single takes, wide shot after wide shot. You see it in, in pretty much every time Cano's just killing like 12 guys at once. Like the first hit on his house, then when he's going through the red circle too, where you just have this wide shot and you get to just see him kill like three guys. And then they go to another setup where it's like three more guys he kills. And what's awesome, I think, about this is they had to do that because they only had the budget for a single camera setup. So, it's kind of like it this, it was necessitated by the fact they didn't have money to do like a shaky cam, multi-camera, quick edits here and there. So, they let you see everything, including him reloading, which I just love watching him pause, reload, because it adds a layer of realism, too. Yeah.
1: And, he's, and he's so calm about it, too, yeah. which really speaks to his character of just yeah. like, it, it's watch. like, it, It's. I mean, if you've ever worked like retail or something and just how like muscle memory, the cash register is like, that's what he's doing when he reloads. He just looks like his brain is off doing something else. And he's just without any thought. Yeah. I think
2: if you look, look at the uh, social media, there's several clips on like TikTok and which were also on TikTok, by the way, viewers, uh, (laughs) is I think you see a lot of videos of Keanu Reeves on there where he's training and, and doing gun work with professionals in this professional course where they're training and doing all this and you look at him and how he gets everything down to a movement. It's almost orchestrated so much with him that it's it's a dance and he's moving so smooth and so fluid. And he just puts it right into the movie and does all
0: of that. Yeah. They spent so yeah. much time on prep that they could just nail it when they actually did it. And that's another thing they would do that would be cheaper because you're ready to – you're not having everybody on set with everything being lit and having to do take after take after take because they're ready to do it. And he's doing it, which is amazing too. Adds to the the realism, the verisimilitude, if you will.
1: What oh, was the budget
0: well. on this one, Craig? If you, um, yeah, it was about uh, between twenty and thirty million, which is a lot to us, but for a, or for a feature film, that's nothing. And for all the special effects and everything that they, yeah, and there is not a ton of CGI in this too. Like when he gets no. hit by the truck or the the van or whatever, that's
1: that's. Not oh, you problem. know, you know what else is CGI in this film that just makes me so mad? That <laughs> little that dog when he lets him outside for the first time and he does his business on the yard that poop is cgi <laughs> did we Are really need cgi bad? poop you couldn't you couldn't just get yeah. something from the dollar store and plop it on the speak lawn to
2: that.
1: oh my word i didn't even notice
0: <laughs> it's and it's not even yeah. good cgi <laughs> So bad. So that CGI looks like crap, or you wanted it to look like crap. The CGI does look
1: like crap, Craig.
2: (laughs) How many Um, people out there did not spend um, that much time looking at that? I'm
1: going to have to check that out. Because it it doesn't, like, the angle of it doesn't look right on the lawn. I've seen a lot of dog poop, and it doesn't look like that.
0: (laughs) Wow. I was was like, oh. Okay. You guys are amazing. A little punchy today. I have one more
2: camera thing that I got to point out. Good, again. I have I, a few, so go for it. Okay, and this is the only thing that stood out to me. I don't remember how many scenes are slow motion in this movie, but there's one slow motion scene that stands out to me because it made me think back to The Matrix. Is this <laughs> the first time where he finds Losef in the hot tub or that little bath sauna yeah. thing they're in? And he literally is looking at Losef eye to eye. He starts running across and he that, that's the slow motion shot where Keanu moves to shoot and he starts shooting the glass that he's running by mm-hmm. and it made me think of the scene with lawrence fishburne in the matrix where he's sure. running to get away from agent smith and i thought this is like almost a shot for shot remake of that scene i don't know if that's intentional or if they just yep. do that but the slow motion part of that really brought that into me
0: yeah it probably is because because chad uh stahelski the director and and, and david leach were both stuntmen they both worked on on the matrix too, so there's a lot of matrix DNA. Like all joking aside, there's a lot of matrix DNA in this movie, other than just Keanu. Uh, I, I'm glad you didn't take the one I was going to take, Core. I thought you were because my one of my favorite shots is the slow motion uh, at the end when he kills Yosef, when he's walking up to him and he's just kind of flanked by those two. Um, shipping containers and just perfect example of composition wise, a rule of thirds where he's very much centered in there. And then he just reverses cor- course and the camera goes out of focus. Like he's just kind of this force of nature, like a, almost like a phantom, you know, as he's uh, finished off the, the quest that he had. That was absolutely great. Uh, I wanted to point out a couple other color things. I, this movie's just beautiful too. I just thought I was really struck by other, other, than the fact that just like, it's a great action movie. I thought it was just really visually um, amazing Um, there's one thing I really enjoyed. We talked about the desaturated color and whatnot. There's also like a hard cut from that when he's at the gas station, when he meets, you know, the gangsters and then it cuts right to the gold at the airport, which is striking. It's kind of like he's in his element, you know, uh, which in there, but one of my favorite ones from this one too is, and I noticed especially the second time is when, when Vigo goes to meet Marcus and to lay out the contract, and it's kind of interesting. If I was like, why is he doing this at first? Marcus like opens the curtains. And so and he's got his back to him. And so Vigo's in the, in the sun uh, and Marcus, uh, Marcus rather is not, he's kind of in shadow. And the way I interpreted that was that Vigo's being very open about he's in the sunlight. Like what he's saying is very clear and honest and what he's being forthright. And Marcus in shadow is, he has something to hide.
2: Hmm.
0: I love it so, when they do that. Yeah. I love it when they put the and and those
2: are intentional things I think that we sometimes miss and you don't know and subconsciously you pick up but without knowing it as a as just watching a show you have to intentionally think about those things sometimes.
0: Yeah. And and my last one was just and I wonder if because I'm assuming the color choices are intentional but in, in the continental where you have the the red and the green where you know red is passion or blood like it's a place where killers are hanging out but there's also this green and but it's not like a poison green it's more like a peaceful relaxing possibly rebirth for Cause serenity Chandler. tranquil yeah because like this is a part where he kind of you know he goes there and he kind of becomes again who he had been before so uh, that's kind of the way I took that and of course tons notice, of Dutch too, angles and cool stuff like that but
1: yeah go ahead Justin uh, in that scene in the club there are um there are like lights flashing everywhere. And if you notice, almost every character gets a lot of, almost just like the chaotic light bouncing off of them, like uh, the strobe lights and the reds and the blues. But w- John Wick is almost always enshrouded in blue. Rarely do they show another color on him, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Interesting.
2: I will say this for camera work also is that if you have a show where your hero kills off 80 people, but you're able to keep all of that camera work and some of those wide angle shots and to do it in such different ways for each one, nobody dies the same. It's just, (laughs) it's every single shot is, I mean, you could have a, a, you could literally have a little episode of, okay, creative kill of the week or creative kill of the night because of how he (laughs) takes out all these people in such varying different ways. But still keep that camera focused, and still keep the viewer watching it and thinking, "Okay, this is a new one, and we're moving forward." It's not just the same thing over and over and over for eighty bodies. Right.
0: Excellent. Uh, so let's move down to sound. Justin, why don't you start us off? What did you notice for effects, soundtrack, voiceover, any of that stuff? Um. So
1: just just generally, uh, one part where I really noticed sound, and I noticed this because. I, I believe in a previous episode, I I mentioned this in uh, one of the earlier Bond films with Sean Connery. There's a fight scene in a Bond film where there is, I i, I couldn't even tell you which Bond film, I don't know my Bond as well as I should, um, where he is having a fight and there's zero music. Uh, but it's like jolting. It doesn't feel right. It feels like there should be music. And in this one, um, that very first attack on his home, as everyone is kind of like getting in position around his house uh there's like there's like rock music playing and it's kind of like heavy metal going and then it's and you almost expect it to the song to reach its climax and then right as the fight starts all music stops and it kind of just points your focus to what is happening and you don't feel like it doesn't feel rhythmic in the way that you would expect it because there's music accompanying it. And I noticed that they do that a lot. They, they play with the music to focus your attention on certain things and they'll even stop it semi abruptly. That kind of makes you feel unsettled, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but I I just don't think an action movie would be what it is without the, the punching sounds, the kicking sounds, the, (laughs) the shooting sounds, uh, the the reloading sounds something that always bugs me in in action movies is just how fiddly guns sound if someone like moves a gun you can always hear it like i'm like guns don't guns don't all the time as they're moving around and they didn't do that as much in this movie um and so so that was nice to see that that felt slightly more real um but not only for the audience like John Wick uses sounds as well. Like you have to be aware of the sound. So that way you're aware of what he's doing. There are several times. Well, actually, no, I'm thinking of the other movies. There's, there's at least one time in this movie where he is waiting for the other person to reload. And he, he waits for that clip to hit the ground to where he comes out from behind cover and starts shooting. So that sound is important, not just for the audience and their enjoyment, but for like understanding of the story and understanding of who John Wick is, which is, a bad day that understands his profession.
0: <laughs> there you
1: go. Corey.
2: Uh, the thing that I noticed, I, I don't feel like there was too many songs or anything to be like a soundtrack that you would look to download a great song from. Uh-huh. But I think I did pay attention a little bit more to, There's some ominous music tones that set up the scenes in the background. And it's, you could always tell when there was a stressful or tense scene coming up, or there's some, there's just a slight music in the back with some beat going on or some tone that's kind of an elevated tone, um, almost a chime. And so I think it sets up the scene to say, Oh goodness, something's going on here. Someone's around the corner or, and so I think that besides what Justin said, I think those, those also stood out to me is that I think those, those effects do a great job of pulling the viewer and setting the tone, but then at the same time, pulling back and having some silence in the film to keep you going.
1: No, I, I think you're right, Corey. Like there, there aren't any songs in here or any of the soundtrack where you'd be like, Oh yeah, I want to listen to that again, but it's still very fitting of every single scene. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm going to disagree a little bit on that, but I'll get to oh. that in just a second. I I know. Okay, but first, I want to start with effects because I love the beginning. The whole beginning of this film, it tells such a great story. It actually shows, and we've been talking about with, you know, teaching literature to like show, not tell. The whole thing with his wife, with virtually no dialogue, it's muffled throughout most of it. And then it just mutes it to like, there's basically no sound except for the heartbeat monitor going and it's kind of beating and then it's in flat line and they don't have to tell you <laughs> what's happening it's obvious what's happening but i loved how they did that with sound and then you also have this other just really hard cut after uh after the uh, the first attack on his house where he goes outside uh to bury daisy the dog it's like it's, he's sitting there holding the dog and it's just the camera's zooming in on him and it starts to fade out and then you have this very sharp shovel sound and that's kind of like for me that's the moment where There's a slow, melancholy music happening, then the sharp sound. Where like this is the turn for him. At that point, there's no going back. Like later on, we do see him going through and hammering. You know, the jackhammer going through the the sledgehammer rather going through and and finding his digging up his weapons and gold and whatnot. But I think at that moment, that's like, yeah, he's going to do something about this. He's he's going back. He's snapping back into that persona. It was such a violent and, and abrupt switch. I thought that was really powerful. But as far as the music goes, I mean, first off, we have a, a really interesting soundtrack, um, a rock soundtrack for the most part. You have uh, you have Tyler Bates, who did, he's done a bunch of stuff for Snyder, did 300, Watchmen, Sucker Punch, but also did Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, he did Deadpool 2. And then Joel J. Richard, who also just, he worked pretty much on this particular film series. And so that rock soundtrack kind of blends in really nicely with some of these these pop songs. Um. But a first one I would talk about is not a pop song. It's the, when you hear Get Money, the the hip-hop song that Yosef and his guys are listening to. And it's like immediately you can tell, these guys are posers. Immediately. Like yeah. who are you trying to kid with who you are? Like rolling up in the hood and whatever. Hilarious, right? You also have things like Vigo singing a song about the boogeyman. So you have some diegetic music when you got that cool. Like every time they have like the subtitles, and it looks almost like a comic book. Um, print up on the screen. But I think some of my favorite stuff is is when he has the the salt on 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 the red circle, there's a song called Think by Kaleida, which is like this really mellow kind of electronic pop song. These two women are singing. And while that's happening, he's just capping dudes left and right. So it's this mellow song while this violence is happening. And then he gets into Uh, He gets into the dance floor and then it changes to this song called Shots Fired. What a perfect name for a song (laughs) by uh, Lake Castlevania, which I swear. And I'm pretty sure I asked my son because I've been playing a lot of Pistol Whip. I'm pretty sure that song's in there. And I'm like, I'm going to just be. That's what I kept feeling like John Wick is. is, I'm playing Pistol Whip. Um, And I just thought it fit beautifully. You also have some, and I don't know if I necessarily would buy that song, but I liked listening to it. It's kind of addictive. I mean, I wouldn't buy a Marilyn Manson song, but it fits. Yeah, like I just can't stand his voice. But "Killing Strangers" is a is a good fit for this song, uh, and I really also like the "The Who You Talking To" man by uh, Siskander Nostalgia, which is like they play it over the end credits and all. It's the main assault on on safe house, what he's going through there. It's just hyper violent and beautiful.
1: Couple couple things to unpack. Oh, sorry, Corey. No, go ahead. Oh, so, um. Okay, Craig and I just, just got an, a, a Quest, like a, a VR headset, and playing any shooting game in VR after watching John Wick <laughs> yep. is so fun. Right? Like, you just you just, you just do all the moves where he holds the gun, like, close to his chest and, and shoots it sideways. Like, it never looks as cool in VR, but I sure feel cool. You feel like, like John Wick. I want a John Wick simulator. I want right? to be that man. Just that. Um and then the other thing, you mentioned uh Yosef how they think they're him and his his crew, they think they're uh they're cool and they're they're gangsters. Like perfect casting for that dude. <laughs> I hate yeah. that guy. I oh, hate so his stupid face. Like oh. you just wanna punch him. The first thing first time you see him, you're like, that guy is a D-bag. Like, <laughs> ooh, 100 <100%. laughs> percent. My goodness gracious. Yep. Um and that, a lot of that probably carries over from Game of Thrones. Like, he was, he's just the worst in Game of Thrones. He redeems himself. But a uh, perfect guy to hate and just to know that you are a, a, a nothing, like, little worm that can't even, like, get out of your dad's shadow and act like a child. Oh, man. Right. Never loved to hate somebody so much. <laughs> if you see him in another movie, you're literally going to be like, I hate this guy. He yeah. better be the villain. I don't think he can ever play a a protagonist like he yeah. just can't.
0: No. Yeah, he's in um he's in Jojo Rabbit. I think that's the only thing I've ever seen him in because I'm not a Game of Thrones wow. guy, and he has a small part in that. And he's not a he's not a person and he, he remotely like this in, in that. So it was I I had forgotten that he was in that. That's how impressive he, or how how much he kind of blended in the background in that. But, but uh, I, yeah, in this I hate him very much. My thing that
2: I'm gonna point out for this soundtrack, Craig, is exactly what you said. Everything you said. You tell me what other podcasts you're going to hear such credit and such praise given to these artists. These are artists that do this to where you point out and shout out how great their work is that most of us miss. I miss, Justin's miss, and then you come in with, here's all the connections that you guys missed. And so I think the level of knowledge that you have for there, that's one thing to brag about. But then I think also to say to those people uh, what great work they've done. And they get a nod, and they get a shout out somewhere else. That that people know
0: that most people are talking about the
2: action of the movie. Here we're recognizing the great work that went along with it.
0: Well, I, I thank you for the kind words, but I absolutely have to give credit to David W. Collins and and his work on the soundtrack show, and before that on on uh, Star Wars Oxygen. He he's he's the man. So, I again I've I plugged that show before on on our on our show, and I'll plug it again. The soundtrack show, which hopefully will be coming back soon, but. Check those out. the The past episodes, the archive stuff is is amazing. So anything that I know about music at all, in movie music, I I got from him and that show. So
2: now, I there's a couple of things that I have in here that I have, and I don't know whether to talk about whether it's a sound or whether it's a performance slide scale of acting. And because of some of the things in the movie, like for example, I love how Winston is calls him Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then Vigo calls him John. And says John Wick all the time. Everybody calls him John Wick. And then uh, one guy Francis that John Wick comes up behind, points the gun, at and it says "Hello, Francis." And he says "Mr. Wick." Mm-hmm. And then we get all these different names for all these different associations. And I and I thought in the vocal sounds, Winston. I absolutely love that man. He is so wonderful. He here's this name Winston, which is a very regal name, very British sounding name. And he's running the Continental and. And yet he calls to him Jonathan, which is a very formal name, not like a, an elevated name. Not I'm not calling you John. I'm calling you Jonathan. Right. And so I think when you get that kind of sound and you get that kind of effect and people notice it, it, it just lets you know there's different relationships that exist in here for those this one man with all these many names.
1: You know what I like about, like, it shows so much about the character of John Wick as well, because every interaction he has with former associates or really anyone who knows him. um, They are so polite and cordial to each other. (laughs) You mentioned that bodyguard uh, outside and they just have the most pleasant interaction as, as Wick is holding the gun to his head and he's like, Oh you you lost weight. And he's like, yeah, like it kind of shows to the character of John Wick. Like, yeah, maybe he was an assassin in a past life. Maybe he killed dozens and dozens of people, but you know what? He's a human being beneath all that and he yeah. cares for people. It's awesome.
0: Well, he has honor. I mean, that's the that's kind of the big thing. That there is this code that he adheres to. And so that makes sense. But it is an interesting thing to to think of, you know, a killer as kind of almost a, a good guy.
1: I, I wanna think that Keanu is that version
0: of John Wick where everyone's just kind of nice to him he's just a <laughs> lovable teddy bear. Right. Uh, before we full on move on into performance, I want to point out one thing in vocal sounds. I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the the voiceover. Um, there's two. Well, there's actually a couple. There. Anything with his, his dead wife. Like, they have the letter that's read um, by her. And really, ultimately, the big thing is the voiceover on the phone. That kind of brings him back multiple times. And especially at the end. It's kind of like, no, you have to just keep going. Come back, John. Come back. So. I think a very effective way to, to use that. It also falls under props. So that's a good one.
2: I think there's also a use for sound. There's also a use for silence in this movie that they use mm-hmm. a few times where they there's this, there's an extension of no dialogue, but it sets up a scene. And then there's also some times where the for example when Vigo calls him the first time to, to try and say we need to talk about this. John mm-hmm. Wick says nothing that entire phone conversation. But as a viewer and a watcher, you can feel the tension rising because we've just seen who this man was established by and with this pencil where he killed five people. And you know, and so you're thinking, Oh my gosh, this guy's a legend. And he's saying nothing to you on the phone, but you know he's on the other end listening. That is so powerful. And it's such a great effect that they make happen with no dialogue and no sound.
1: And you can see uh, Vigo or hear Vigo's voice escalate a- out of fear. The right. less uh, John says, the more he's like,
2: "Ah, let's be civilized." I'm going to stumble a little bit on my words. Yep,
0: yeah, I had that. So that's a natural transition into dialogue. I, I actually had that as as one of mine, but we've kind of talked about it because yeah, he he does. <laughs> let's not you know resort to our baser instincts, and yeah, he just keeps trying to appeal. And what do you say? Enough. That's what he said. So, um, Justin, I'm gonna start with you again. What you have a, a favorite line or or passage of dialogue that you really liked from this film?
1: Um, I kind of alluded to it before, but really, any interaction that that John has with anyone within his profession, uh, he because they're just so dang polite. Um, I had the line, well, one with the bodyguard where he mentions that he he lost some some weight, but the other one that I that I just can't. Stop from laughing is uh, after he he defends his home and the police officer comes to the door, knocks on the door. Um, <laughs> John, uh, I wrote it down here evening, yes. Jimmy, noise complaint, and then Jimmy, noise complaint. Uh, you working again? <laughs> no, just sorting some stuff out. He's like, no, I'll be leaving you. Good night, and then good night, Jimmy. Like, he's so aware of who John is, and oh, you yeah. can tell he kind of feels, um, like. Emasculated because you know he used the police officer. He's supposed to be uh, in control of the situation, but he's like, I'm just going to let John do his thing. Yeah. But he's so polite about it; it's it's just delightful. Fan theory that uh, Jimmy <laughs> is part of the Continental.
2: <laughs> Jimmy is a Continental employee who is tasked with watching out for John Wick and checking. Oh, that's actually
0: funny. not that's actually not bad.
2: That's not Sorry. a bad fan theory. And no. I actually, when I heard that theory, and then I watched it this time. I feel like that's more true than anything because of Jimmy's mannerism. He is exactly as if it's a, a waiter checking in at a hotel. Just doing okay. Okay. All right. Anything you need, let me know.
1: Corey, here's, here's a fan theory. My (laughs) fan theory is that this? These fan theories are really just you, and you're citing someone else. <laughs> he is the to fan. make it sound more credible. I'm going to need some actual sources from now on. I don't have sources because then I would have to give myself away.
2: I come up with these and I say fan theory. So if they get made fun of, I say, "Well, that was just a crazy
1: fan." <laughs> wasn't me. I was just I was just passing it along. Uh, yeah, that's weird. Huh, no, that, as one who loves crazy fan theories, it's totally fine. But yeah.
0: it's, Well, sure, re- keep sure. regardless of whether that's true or not, the, the scene speaks volumes about his respect for john though i mean yes. it really is more about who john is like you're again you're getting effects on others i mean we talk about indirect characterization it's a great i love that scene i'm glad you pointed that out i had that it was one of mine too corey you gonna, gotta, yeah go ahead
2: i've got one for dialogue i'm gonna say that everything's got a price uh payoff for me i love this payoff thing craig you've you've got me on this payoff is in the beginning when yosef goes over and says everything's got a price You know, Cuss is here. Says the B word. Yeah. And uh, John Wick says, not this, B-I-C-T-H. And then later in the movie, after all this is going on and he's chasing Yosef, Yosef calls on the phone for one of his guards and says, where's Victor? John Wick says, Victor's dead. And then says to him, everything's got a price. And so it's a great dialogue to just kind of say. I know, you know, this is where it started. This started because you couldn't stop here. You could have just walked away, drove away. This car's not for sale. None of this would have happened. But now, this is the price for you going too far because of your arrogance, your cockiness, and your upbringing. Nice. I love that dialogue.
0: So I'm going to say we can do two because I have two that I want to share. I'm going to start with this one. Um, <clears throat> Vigo calls up Aurelio and says, I heard you struck my son. And he says, yes, sir, I did. And Vigo says, may I ask why? And he says, "Uh, (laughs) because he stole John Wick's car, sir, and uh, killed his dog. And Vigo's response is, "Oh." oh. And then hangs up. Which, again, says so much about who John is. Love it so very much. And it's so early in the film. We don't really know. We've seen very little to this point. And the fact that John Leguizamo says that with the us
2: in there, that, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, well, sir, uh, he struck, he stole John Wick's car. it It's just a great speaking, and I'm going to put this out there. I got a lot to say, and I'm kind of stammering a little bit. That's just great writing
0: to put that in there. Yeah. I mean, he's showing respect and deference to, to Vigo, but he's also like, yeah, I needed to do this because Wick is a problem for all of us. Mm-hmm. So Justin, did you have another one that you wanted to throw out? Um
1: Yes and no. So uh, I was I was going to go with that one as well, just because the, <laughs> the O is too classic. But um Joseph's last line as John Wick is walking up to him between those uh two shipping containers that you mentioned earlier, Craig. And he he like has one last like plea before John just is like I'm I'm done like and shoots him. Uh, he just yells, it was just a effing dog. Yeah. And I love that so much because I thought about this for so long. And I feel like this movie has kind of become, while it's well respected, the joke always comes back to like, oh, you activated the greatest assassin of all time by killing a dog. But I feel like more people can empathize with the the heartbreak of like their dog dying than most people can empathize then than people that can empathize with like say their their wife dying like I think a dog dying is quite a bit more of a common occurrence um and just in movies in general like whenever uh, animals are harmed people can empathize with that yep. much much more mm-hmm. and just I think in this movie not only does it bring the audience in of like yeah like you don't kill dogs but also <laughs> it shows that John Wick, He needed an outlet. He was mad. Like he, his wife had died. Uh, You can already kind of see that he's missing that adrenaline in his life. I think that's what that airport scene is showing us with his car as he's driving Mm -hmm. around. Uh, I think he wants that adrenaline and then his dog dies. He's like, nope, that's it. All right, let's do it. That dog,
2: you got a lot to that, Justin, because people empathize with that. That dog was not killed on camera. You hear the yip, but you don't yep, see mm-hmm. it. You see his wife die on camera. You see eighty people die on camera, but you don't see the dog die on camera. You hear what they did, and then you see the dog dead when John Wick wakes up. But that, I, I, I don't think we could stomach that if we saw that. <laughs> the Nameless bodyguards over here. I can watch you
0: die, dog. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm storming out of the cat out of the movie. <laughs> I'm out. Yep. Did you have another line that you wanted to share, Corey?
2: Yeah, I think, and this this sets up for me, I love this underworld. I love the continental. I love everything about this because it's going to be so important in the sequels that's going to come up, Craig, that you're going to love. And so I think this line when Perkins finally gets killed at the end is the when Winston walks up to her and says, you've broken the rules, you've done business on continental grounds, and management... Uh, oh, wait, no, sorry. You've broken... Uh, it's Perkins. It's when that that Marcus guy. I'm sorry. Let me reset that, Craig. I'm sorry. Okay. It's all fine. Uh, it's when Perkins is in the hotel with Marcus, and he says to her, "You've broken the rules. You've done, and you've done business on continental grounds. And management does not take kindly to that sort of behavior." And then she ends up killing him. And because she does it on continental grounds, at the end of the movie, Winston comes up to her and says, "By thine own hand, your membership has been revoked." And then she's killed. And it just sets up this token that the continental is safe haven. There is no business on here. You can have these people who are the biggest, baddest assassins that exist on the planet. The moment they walk into this hotel, it's parlay. It's, it's frozen. Yep. You freeze everything. And we are cordial. We are respectful. We are not carrying any grudges until we walk out that door again. And I think it, it sets up a great dynamic of this underworld that they want to have this this reverence and this moment where they all come together and they're in a place where there is no business in here.
0: Nice. Well, my last one, it's one we referenced. Um, I think we did this uh, when we finished our last episode and we were talking about the movie ahead of time. So we did it off, uh, off the radio, but uh, uh, John wasn't exactly the boogeyman. He was the one you sent to kill the effing boogeyman. Yes. So, uh, let's talk about, uh, let's see, body language, facial expressions. Keanu doesn't do a whole lot of facial expressions, but he's very stoic, Ever. but it works <laughs> uh, for the character. What I had for this one, uh, well, other than, so yeah, there is one break from that, though. When the, I, the I'm the i thinking I'm back scene, he gets pretty rage. He's full of rage in that one. It's pretty palpable. You <laughs> see his eyes and tension of his whole body. And that's like really the one moment in the film where he kind of feels a little bit out of control
2: yeah I, I know exactly what you're talking about yeah and that's the only time you ever see him really rageful later there the, later there's a line uh i can't remember if it's a, now i'm blanking on whether it's this one or the sequel where he says you, people are keep asking if i'm back yeah. where he gets pretty pretty rageful yeah, and yeah, it. that's this one yeah and so I, i'm getting them all mixed together now because i've seen all the, the sequels but and so i think that line is just a a rage that really
1: cuts loose on it for Keanu. I I think with Keanu, I, like I, I have, I have difficulty with him sometimes, but it, it works in every movie he's in, but he is so very stoic that like, you almost just want to like, like pour some caffeine down his throat and just be like, come on, man, like have some facial expressions. <laughs> um, but because the whole movie is very much like that, like the dialogue, is intentional, like there are not a lot of monologues or ramblings or anything like that. Um, it's slow and intentional and everyone's emotions are kind of muted. He works within this um, and it doesn't feel un- uncomfortable, but I-, I do wish that he displayed some more emotion. He's yeah. just very stoic throughout. But then again, it does make those scenes like right uh, when he's when he's tied up and he's I'm thinking I'm back. It makes those scenes matter more, certainly, uh, because you don't ever see him riled up except for right then.
2: I think I think another thing that I point out with the body language is the this movie does a lot for pausing to where there's a 30 second or a 45 second scene with a, a person. And they're uh, like, for example, William Defoe. When he starts, he takes out a blanket and unwraps it on the table and then takes out this sniper rifle and starts kind of putting it together. And there's a little bit of artistry in how he's touching it. It's not just a person grabbing a rifle and setting it on a table. It's how he's handling that. And those body mannerisms that they're going through, there's little hesitations and calculated interactions and how they're moving different parts of the rifles and the guns. And when they set out the weapons and they're putting them all back in, that body language builds that character, the familiarity they have with these weapons, all these different weapons. And so I think that's an intentional thing that that is nice. It's done in silence where they're, they're not talking, they're building those things, but they're using the facial expressions and the body language and the
1: mannerisms to kind of build up who these characters are. And, and they do it so uh, smoothly too. It's kind of like what I mentioned earlier, like it's, it's muscle memory. It's almost like they're just like, and you know, I get ready for work every day. You put your socks and shoes on, you brush your teeth and you can almost do that in your sleep. It's almost like they're doing that too. Um, Especially I feel like when John does it for the first time, uh, it almost looks like he, he missed it a little bit. I Mm. I felt that Um, like he was excited to like, Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to put this knife in my, in my little sock holster thingy. This feels good. I yeah. like it. And
2: you're really going to see it in John Wick 2 when he does that where he goes into the Continental and they give him all those weapons and they start handing him the – I can't remember who the guy is, but he hands him all these guns and he grabs them and he starts moving them around and doing all these things with them. And,
0: and I uh, don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Sorry. And I, and I don't <laughs> like it. Spoiler <laughs> alert, crank oh, He lives. Okay. So big spoiler. Um, <laughs> I wanted to point out when it gets gets a co- – we talked a little bit about the, the costumes, hair and makeup. It's – um what I thought was interesting especially on the second watch is how different he's dressed at the beginning of the film where he's kind of he's wearing jeans and t-shirt and that leather jacket you even see that when he goes into talk to Aurelio and then when he switches gears it's it's his persona is that stylish suits it's I mean it's very polished all black three piece suit it's it's a whole thing you know it's a whole image uh that I'm sure is striking fear into his contemporaries you know, when, in that final
1: scene, when, uh, John Wick and Vigo are fighting out in the rain, just like right off the helipad, he, that rain looks heavy. Like it's on their clothing. It, it, like that would be cumbersome. I just, in my mind, I'm just like, just, just take off your coat, John. Just take your coat <laughs> off. You'd be a little bit faster. Please take your coat. That's gotta be so restricting. Yes. But, it wouldn't but look he's cool. John Wick. He's gotta look yeah. cool while he's doing it. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. One other thing that, last thing that I have on on this body language, facial features. Did anybody notice that when he was killing Yosef's crew in the bathhouse, how much more personal it looked to him? Like he's he kills that one guy who was the the initial guard who was in the house with him, and he says, "You killed my wife, or you uh, you killed my dog, and you stole my car," and he's you know, almost drowning the guy in the in the sink. Yeah. Like he, that's his, that's the only time where he tells someone as he's killing them other than Vigo, what he's doing, you know, and how he's back for revenge. But then when he goes to see Yosef in the bathhouse, he takes that guard down and is looking at Yosef the whole time to do that one final tap, that little double tap at the end on the guy. He's looking at Yosef the whole time. (laughs) And I thought, if you were looking at that, you would go, that's the boogeyman. That is the (laughs) boogeyman looking at me. And that is terrifying. And the one guard that he, stabs with the knife. He looks him in the eyes the whole time. And I thought, Oh, this is more, this is the vengeance right here. And then everything else is just the fallout. And so it was much more personal, much more the intimidating
1: for me to watch that and think of the eye contact he's doing as he's taking these people out. That, that entire bathhouse scene is just amazing. Like that is probably the highlight of the film, right? I mean, he's just walking through there almost just continually walking as he's killing people. He's constantly in motion. And there's a couple times where it subverted expectations Mm -hmm. that I really enjoyed. So there's, it kept showing the guy. I don't even know if he's named, but he's one of the thugs and he's got like the twirly waxed mustache at the end there. Um, I just twirled my mustache like a villain. Um, He's got he's got that mustache, and you see him, and you're like, oh, this guy's gonna be cool. There's gonna be a cool fight scene with him because he's got some character you can tell because his facial hair is cool. And then John just kills the guy. Like, there's not really much interaction with that. And same thing with the really like jacked guy that he's like he's like wearing speedo, I think, and he gets out of the the sauna or the the jacuzzi thing, and it almost has like this Indiana Jones feel where Indiana Jones comes across like. Uh, that swordsman that pulls out a sword and like does all the moves and, and Indy just shoots him. Like, you're just like, okay, something cool is going to happen. And then John's like, pow, 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 pow. like no, I'm not going to, you're going to beat me physically. Why would I, why would I yeah. fight you? But <laughs> a few of those guys deserve a backstory because you know, they were just
2: bad assassins,
1: like amazing
2: assassins. And here, John Wick, just like, okay, I'm just going to
1: take you out. Yeah. But I love that there is no backstory. Yeah. Cause you yeah. expect it. And then it's just like, now we're just going to kill him just like everyone else. Like this, this poor guy that played him, he spent, you know, decades of his life training and like pumping iron, and wakes up every morning and eats, you know, a dozen eggs or something to, to get ripped, and then you're you're done. Not
0: yeah. poor guy. That's how awesome John Wick is. Yep. Uh, as far as setting and design, moving down to locations, a lot of this film, a lot of this was filmed in New York, and, and again, it's that's well, adds to the realism of this. And, and one thing that I read that I really liked was uh, the part of the benefit of. Of doing that is that you had a lot of actors who were just based in New York, and that's how they were able to get him in the film. Like Ian McShane, uh, who plays uh, Winston, he lives in New York, so that's how you get him. He only has to work for a couple hours; he doesn't have to, you know, there's no commute. You just like roll up here and, and do this. Uh, it's always fun to see uh, what's called the Beaver Building or or One Wall Street Court. It's you know, the where the Continental is. That kind of you know iron shaped. Uh, building is such a cool uh, location. We've seen that in lots of films, like it's in Spider-Man, for instance. And
1: So this could things. be a quick Google search that I'm too lazy to do. Is that the same uh, building as in third Batman movie? The Christopher
0: Nolan movies? Uh, it's been a little while since I've seen it. Might be. It's it's, it's, it's the one that, uh, it. with... with. Uh, fine, I'll Google it, Craig. <laughs> Google that while I'm vamping. Um but yeah, lots of lots of buildings throughout Manhattan, Brooklyn. Um, the uh, the so yeah the yeah the, the, the exterior is that building. Interiors are like Hotel Walcott, um, the Cunard Building. Uh, there's actually the Wick House is, is in, in Millneck Village. So that's a real house that they're filming in. Red Circle Nightclub was uh, was filmed at, at at a courthouse for the exterior, which is interesting. Uh, Edison Theater for the interior. Uh, and then the Brooklyn Navy Yard was where they were having the big fight at the end, um, next to the helipad. And did we get a confirmation on, on Dark Knight Rises? Otherwise, I'll just keep going. I'm, I'm still I'm still The real Googling. gas station and Upper Nyack. I, I just love the fact that this movie feels real, and there's a reason it does, because you've got real stunts and real locations. And yeah, I think... You know, you do that on the cheap, too, which, and it, that's why I think what a lot of people liked it. It was refreshing just to kind of have something that's shot in camera.
1: Um, I don't believe it is the same building,
0: but that yeah. is... It's been a little while since I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, Corey, I had um, Marcus's hidden gun stash under the stairs under set decoration, because I also love that scene where he just kind of rolls that out and then starts pulling out the gun and lays it on yeah. the piano. and Yes. I think that would be great under set decoration. It sets it up
2: and there's, you know, there's one set thing that I, and I don't know if this is just true or not. I was trying to look it up and I ran out of time today. There's the scene where he has a pullout pantry that he pulls out and slides out. John wick does. I think that that scene right there, I think that exact same pullout pantry is in. I am legend with Will Smith. And I, it, I don't know why that stuff catches my eye, but little things like that I see and I uh, little set decorations they use and I and it just stands out to me. It just makes me call back to a different scene. And it makes me realize sometimes how much movie makers probably use a same set or a same, here's the scene, we're going to set this scene and
1: we're going to follow this. It's almost a template for a few things that we move through. You know, Corey, there's there's a fan theory that uh, <laughs> oh, there is that uh, you know after his assassin life, John Wick becomes a real estate agent and actually sells that house to Will Smith. <laughs> I bet he does. So <laughs> there, there's oh, a fan.
2: No, but it just makes me realize that some shots are not always just that directors have original set decorations or things that they use. They they follow someone else's template. Like you know, sometimes people follow Zack Snyder's template for some things.
0: Exactly. So moving on to to props then. I mean there's so many I, I guns was like the main thing they wrote down. What <laughs> guns? <laughs> um one thing that I loved I I found that they had to uh, strictly follow the number of bullets and, and and edit scenes if they knew he had to reload. So like it was very intentionally choreographed all the way down to the re- which re- and to see a guy reload in an action movie is Usually kind of an afterthought, but it just feels like a natural extension. We've talked about this. We're kind of a cool part of the fight where you just watch him very calmly reload, finish that dude off while he's standing there.
1: I am definitely that jerk in every movies that every movie that's like, no, he couldn't shoot that much. He would have had to reload. And I hate myself every time I say it. And this this movie, I didn't have to say that during. It was nice. Yeah. Well, I I think it shows the intensity of of all the scenes in the running
2: and everything he's doing to, that they made it intentional choice to not make it unbelievable that way. The one thing that I had for props was the trail of uh, uh, blood with a dog. Did anybody else catch that after they yeah. kill the dog? And then the dog is right in front of John wicks face afterwards. And there's a trail of blood and the camera pans up through the trail of blood. And you see mm-hmm. the dog, it blurred, the dog's blurred and John wicks in focus, but he's out on the stair. And when I first saw that, I thought, what in the world would they do that for? You know, did he crawl over to the dog and then wake up surprised to see the dog? That just didn't make sense. But it, in my end, as I was thinking about that, that means the killers, those Russian crew that went in there, they put the dog in front of him so that when he wakes up, that's the thing he sees that they did. It's almost a, an evilness on their part because that dog either got kicked or slid over to where John wicks at. And I thought, That was an intentional prop because it did not fit in the scene, which means it had to have been placed. And the camera work leading up to it shows that dog had to have been put there and placed just to kind of show as a prop. This is what we did to your dog
0: and and an evilness on Joseph's crew. See, I have a totally different read on that. and I'm wondering if, Justin, if you have the same. I, I read that as the dog limped to him like with its last dying breath. That's the way I read that.
1: Mm, hmm. I I went more with Corey there because okay.
0: he seemed pretty dead. <laughs> <laughs> He's only mostly dead. <laughs> He's mostly dead. Either way, uh, it's pretty sad.
1: I think that would be horrible, Craig. Don't tell me they killed the dog and they made the dog suffer like that.
0: that. Dog was mostly. Dead. But then
1: again, if you moved that dog, I feel like there wouldn't be drag marks. Like who's dragging that little bit of a dog? I feel really bad. They that we're kicked it over. This they kicked this it, is it over. Terrible. <laughs> It's a terrible thing to talk about. Okay, it let's is. move on. Um, wait, no, 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 no. Yeah, you want I'm not not, more But about it's an actual 100. prop.
0: That's a prop. It is. That's, no, absolutely. I didn't get to talk about my prop. Oh, well, I didn't say we... just. Let's not talk about the dog anymore. Go ahead. Oh, wait, no, wait. I'm still talking about the dog.
1: <laughs> go for it. Mine is more of a lack of props. Let's go back to that poop in the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> I did a quick Google. Apparently um, the digital creation of that rendered poop is $5,000.
0: Are you kidding me? That's good money if you can get it.
1: $5,000. For poopy work like that. (laughs) You could have got a Babe Ruth bar for like 50 cents and (laughs) stuck it there, and no one would have been the wiser. Heck, I'm going to start selling my dog's poop (laughs) to movie studios. I'm going to make a freaking fortune. Could have someone standing back there in a green screen with a frosting (sighs) squirter. Yeah, uh, $5,000. My goodness gracious. Come on. (laughs) All right, sure. here's my last prop,
0: and then we're gonna. T- <laughs> Craig, say. I feel
1: like you don't like talking about this. I think uh, I'm only gonna talk about it more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the pain pills uh, yeah, that John he takes right something. before he enters the church, which after the conversation where the guy was like, "If you're gonna need full function, like you're gonna probably pull your stitches, but here, take these pills." And so when he took the pills, it just you knew that he was gonna need full function. He was gonna go in and just be killing dudes all over the place. The
2: gold. Yes. We not, the gold is a great prop too because it just shows this wealth of this underworld. I mean there is they're using gold coins and every time uh Charlie shows up to clean a body scene, he's getting paid in gold. Charlie's got to be the richest person on the planet for that for what he does with these people. <laughs> he th- there's a
1: fan theory that he's actually setting up all these all these deaths. <laughs> I got it.
0: See, this is why those fans, I tell you. Oh my goodness.
1: Okay, I'm hey, going <laughs> to... One more fan theory, Corey. Okay. Yes. Okay, so the Doctor, because we just brought up the Doctor, this is my segue, and this movie is the Keymaker in The Matrix 2.
0: That's why it looks familiar.
1: Yeah. hmm Oh, my gosh. Okay. So... How did I not... Ca- well, I mean... I should... Oh, yeah. Let's no, be honest. Let's connect that, Corey. We can do it. Yep. Oh, Are we getting off track here? This is not what this podcast is
0: about. That is Randall Duck Kim. You it right. is. It adds weight. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about the characters. Yes. Uh, Alfie Allen is the guy that plays Joseph. So we hate Alfie Allen. Sorry, like Alfie. You yeah. seem like a great actor, um, but yeah, Michael Nickvist, rest in peace, is the one that played Nick, uh Vigo. Only thing I've I've also seen him in. He's a he's a Swedish. I believe he's Swedish. Let me double check that. He's the bad guy in Mission Impossible ghost protocol yeah he's Swedish yeah. he was that's the only place I've seen him in I have to say the one thing that took me out of this film was watching Adrian Policki, who I like as an actress she's Perkins in this film but I have been binge watching the Orville because I love it until recently and so I was just like that's not right because that's Kelly and it's, you know what it just, it just and pulled, I was me gonna- out, pulled me right out I was going to highlight her because she is
2: so great in the Orville and I absolutely love her. And I thought this was a great different side to her as far as her acting career. I absolutely loved her in this movie. I thought she was that vengeful side that doesn't have code, doesn't have rules and is in this underworld where they do have the code and honor and rules. And that's, she gets her comeuppance at the end. And I was like, this is a great character. This is a great she does a great job. I
0: absolutely yeah, love her. She's good. It just pulled me out a little bit. That also and, and Dean Winters, who plays uh, ah, Vigo's Eternity. Greg, yeah. That's yeah. it's Mayhem from Allstate. It's Mayhem. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like I can't. <laughs> or Chaos, isn't it?
0: Is it Mayhem? Mayhem, yeah. Mayhem. But see that I was like, maybe he played it for no, he's been playing that since 2010. So that predates John Wick by a few he's years. He's also ago. the beeper king
1: in 30 Rock. And I just he is so Great. It it blows my it was really confusing to me why um Vigo puts up with him so much. <laughs> like <laughs> he's, he's he's not very respectful to Vigo, No, he's not. He he kind of takes it. I, he must I be a
2: good that. lawyer. Must be. Uh, and, also uh, Go ahead. William Defoe. Can we yes. just highlight William Defoe and what a legend he is? And he dies so well in so many movies. Yep. And I hate it when he dies because I love him so much, but his death in this one was so tragic. I wish he yep. hadn't have died, but on his own terms. On his own terms.
0: Uh, Lance Reddick, who plays the hotel manager, uh, Charon, is always fantastic. Love him from Fringe, I think. Oh, I think the first thing I saw him in was Lost, but he plays a huge role in in Fringe. I'm assuming he's in the sequels, and I'm looking forward to seeing more. He is. The, ho- he is the hotel great. manager? Yeah. Yes. The, con- has- the concierge. Yes. Craig,
2: I'm going to tell you, he has quite a pivotal oh, role true. in one of the sequels. Don't tell me anymore. No, 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 no. I'm not going to tell you anymore. I just like just, Lance Reddick. Uh, he's always you. fun. He's got such a great voice. He's so. He's just a wonderful actor. I think he's great. Yeah. Uh, John Leguizamo. I'm going to throw him out there. I absolutely love him. Yeah. I I love him in, in so many movies. The range that this guy has, can we just be honest? He goes from playing Sid the Sloth in Ice Age movies, which I've seen <gasps> a thousand times because of my kids, and which, by the way, as an adult with no kids, I would have watched that too. Because it is he is so incredible in that movie. Then turns around and plays this totally off-ball movie, The Pest. But then he goes and acts with Steven Seagal, and plays a, a special forces guy. And then he's in this movie playing this this uh, playing Aurelio in the garage. I mean, his range of characters that
0: he plays in movies is legendary. and he's Luigi in Mario Brothers.
2: Oh my gosh! Yes,
0: <laughs> that's a deep cut, Justin. Oh, I see the look of you didn't shock know he was the Sid
2: the Sloth.
1: I didn't know he was Sid
0: the yes. Sloth. Yes, yeah. he's as incredible. a Sid
1: the Sloth doppelganger.
2: You know, I'm, there's a fan feel, theory.
1: <laughs> there's a fan theory?
0: Oh, my Lord. John Leguizamo is brilliant. Yes. <gasps> he okay. is Sid the Sloth. There he is. Yes, true. Okay. Uh, any other characters we haven't talked about that we need to? Because we're running long today. Gosh darn it. All right. Hero's Journey. Not a hero's journey. It's a Yeah, I, I really kept...
1: Craig, you can pull Hero's Journey out of anything. And I'm just no. like, oh, man, Craig's going to pull it out. I got to look for it. I couldn't I couldn't find it. No,
0: no. And no. that's fine. That's fine. Mm-mm. But I do say world building was my f- – I think world building was my favorite thing in this because I've seen lots of action movies. And, yes, there's some amazing choreography in the Attack on His House and going through the Red Circle and all of that stuff but i just love the whole concept of the continental the gold currency the whole the dinner reservations thing I, the first time the, he asked for you know reservation for 12 i was like oh, i think i know what that is and then the guy showed up and i was like it's a cleaner this is so great this whole subculture which they're going there's going to be you know the, a prequel tv series uh, on peacock that's coming out and the ballerina spin-offs coming up as well so yeah. i think you know that when i first Heard about these things and I hadn't seen the movie. I was like, yeah, they're just that's just a money grub thing. But now I'm looking at that going, yeah, there's it's ripe for so many different ways you could take this. There's a lot that they
2: could do, Craig. I got a question about this because I, I generally am curious if there's no hero's journey, and this is I mean, this is a tale of revenge at its very core. I mean, but would you call John Wick the hero then? I mean, or is it just. I mean, how do we how do we what category do we place this movie in with no hero's journey and yet you're rooting for the guy. He is yeah. the good guy in the story, but he's
0: not necessarily Well, he's he's the protagonist. We root for him. That doesn't mean he's a good guy. He's a he's an anti-hero. Just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean Hero's journeys is a thing I like to look for. It's not in everything. It's in most stories, but but not in all of them. I mean it is kind of, it, I mean he he still evolves through this. He still, you know, has to become of, you know this other version of himself, but it's not in, you know it doesn't fit the monomyth. There's a fan theory
1: that uh, Craig <laughs> has the hero's journey tattooed on his back <laughs> in, Latin. False. in Latin balls
0: that is less
1: no. He does. I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> final thoughts on John Wick. I'm going to start with Justin.
1: Okay. Uh, can I, I know? I know you're like the host here, Craig. But can we back it up before final thoughts? Sure. Of I course. just I have one thing to bring up, and I, I feel mean, like I I I love this movie, but I feel like I've said some critical things about it. Overall, I still very much love it. I'm curious your fellow's thoughts on the subtitles.
0: I like them. I think it's cool. It's very stylized. Uh, you you do have
2: a point. That is not the traditional subtitle. It's a almost a poster looking
1: subtitle. Like it's very comic still. booky to me.
0: Is that it, what we very much go for? in the
1: same way that I, I felt like uh, Creed when it showed the boxer's stats? It seemed Light like up? out of place. I, I I really dislike the subtitles in this movie it seems weird. Like just give me regular subtitles that show up at the bottom, non-distracting subtitles. You don't need to like Mm. give me PowerPoint transitions uh, for emphasis on certain words. I, so I didn't know where to put that in this rundown, but I really disliked that. And I wish I didn't. Looking back at that, I can't believe I didn't notice that.
2: I I think that is, I, I think it, it could be a little distracting for some because it was a little more artistic than just a straight subtitle. Justin, I I'll notice that in future films.
1: Yeah, and, and just overall, like I don't like artsy subtitles in yeah. in any movies. I don't think I've ever ever enjoyed that, but that's just me. Um, yeah, okay. Oh, so over overall thoughts for the film, though. I mean, fantastic movie. Uh, again, just like the Matrix, it could have been a standalone movie, and it would have been awesome. I'm never going to complain about more content, but um, again, what I said at the beginning, like the movie knows what it is, and it doesn't ever stray from that it knows it's an action movie um it knows it's like a uh, a revenge movie and it it keeps it keeps it tight doesn't doesn't uh, wander too much from the formula but in the same way it almost like creates a new genre of action film uh, like i there are a couple movies that kind of try and emulate this to varying degrees of success you see that in uh nobody with um uh, who's the actor? Better call Saul. Who's that? Odin Kirk. Yeah. Uh, which which is a great movie, but it's it's very clearly taken inspiration from the John Wick, Wick films. And if we can Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Like it was so successful and so iconic that, you know, it's being emulated. Um, love it. I've I've seen it five or six times and I'd probably watch it five or six times more. Never get bored. Corey? That was good. I think uh, if
2: I was to describe John Wick, I would wrap it up with this, that it's a, it's a great story of a guy who's on redemption story, but is pulled back into the world of revenge. But it's a sophisticated world ruled by codes and honor among violent people and assassins. And it's one man against all odds. I think you'd say that with a movie trailer voice guy, one man against all odds <laughs> and with no end to creative killings for bad guys. And, uh, but some great action, great dialogue, great characters that are built up and, uh, a mythical approach to it. This is a great movie. It's going to be great sequels. I think it's, it's definitely targeted for an island, uh, audience that likes a little more of the violent movies, but not super gory in a manner of doing that. And so I think this is a, it's a great movie. It's, uh, fun to watch great character and Keanu Reeves is the best and the all-star studded cast that they have along with him makes this a great series.
0: Yeah. I had to say that I really enjoyed the film. Again, I can't believe it. it took me this long to see it. I'm looking forward to seeing the other films. I need to quickly watch two and three because apparently four is amazing, which should be out shortly by the time this is, this episode is released. I just love the fact that they did it on a very small budget and because they did that, they had to kind of do these workarounds, like we talked about. There's no budget for reshoots uh, and no second camera, so they have to stage these things very carefully. The choreograph uh, choreography has to be super tight, and, and you know, so you ultimately to make this movie, you have to. It has to be a great script, and I think it is a fantastic script with some really well drawn characters. I love the mythology. I think Keanu is perfect for the role. And I think really everybody's cast just perfectly for this. And so it's, I love all the fact, also the fact that it's not based on a pre existing IP, that it's its own original thing. And uh, clearly there's been some, it, it's turned into a franchise now, as everything is. But I love the fact that it was an original idea, that it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, and, you know, I think that's that's a lesson I've, I hope that more filmmakers look at and say, you know what, if I have an idea and if it's a really good one, that, that I can be a successful filmmaker with it.
1: I mean, unless we go with Corey's theory of it's (laughs) an alternate dimension of the matrix. I have one more fan theory. It's also, there's
2: five movies and it's the five stages of grief. There's one more
0: fan theory. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. So on that (laughs) note, we're going to (laughs) close Because before any more fan theories come out, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have a fan theory, feel free to reach out to us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com, or use the SpeakPipe app so we can hear your fan theory and plug it into the show. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. One last thing, our next episode, it's getting close to baseball season, guys. Our next episode will be a review of Field of Dreams with special guest Ross Holloman, Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Field of Dreams, and we'll share it on the next episode.